0: Chapter, shadows no an irritated sean said as he listened to the reply on the telephone i'm definitely sure the grades were sent to you i sent you an email and a hard copy didn't you get it then if you got it why are you asking me i'm on vacation for christ's sake lisa cringe when she heard her lord's name taken in vain what he continued you're not kidding are you you remained silent for a while unable to speak did they find out who did it he managed to say curious about what was wrong lisa inched closer to her husband he held up his hand and continued to listen Uh uh-huh yeah okay was anything taken no just smashed up so you think it was some college kids well yeah okay keep me informed yeah thanks for calling sean hung up sean what's wrong asked Lisa. Sean sat down on the bed. My office was busted in and ransacked. The director doesn't think anything was taken and believes that it may have been some college kids acting on a dare, or some stupid fraternity prank. Why would somebody do such a thing? She asked. I don't know. It's a good thing I don't have a desktop in my office. All of my work would have been lost. I'm sure the university will head up the investigation well enough by themselves, said Lisa slapping her forehead. Oh, yeah. I forgot to tell you about the couple I met today after you went for a walk. They might want to have dinner with us. After watching a boring movie, Grandma predicted may win an Oscar. Nicole and Brad walked into the house dejected and upset. Brad made a straight line for the refrigerator, while Nicole located the remote and started flicking channels. And Marie decided to make peace with the kids by ordering pizza. She shivered as she felt a draft whisked by her. Upon inspecting every window, she found that the master bedroom window was open. She closed the window and then carefully looked around the room. What am I doing? Why have I been so paranoid lately? She mumbled. She started to leave the room when her eye caught glimpse of the desktop computer. What? She touched the computer. It was warm. The Beckmans were an unremarkable young couple. Just married and taking their first cruise as husband and wife, To Lisa, it was kind of strange that newlyweds would want to spend time with other couples rather than being alone. However, Sean embraced the distraction. It gave him more stalling time to avoid the serious conversation he'd have to face sooner or later. Having the young couple around for dinner reminded him of how it used to be with Lisa when they were first married. Back then, nothing in the world mattered but the love they shared for one another. The two couples sat around a small square table among a multitude of other passengers in similar settings. Piked and music struggled to break the barrier of passenger conversations during the buffet-style dinner. As the Beckmans in Duquesne's ate, the conversation lagged. It was only after they were thoroughly stuffed that it picked up. So, what do you do for a living? Cal asked Sean. I'm a professor of history and archaeology. What about yourself? Stockbroker in New York City. Cal answered it must be very stressful. How long you've been doing it? Sean asked, trying to keep the conversation going. Catherine hugged Cal and answered. It wasn't until Cal realized there's more to life than building his portfolio that he finally popped the question, and I do expect to see more of him too. She winked at Lisa. Excuse me, Dr. Duquesne, interrupted a waiter. You have an emergency phone call. Can you please follow me? Sean shook his head. It was probably the university again updating him on his office break-in. Please excuse me, he said, rising from his chair. I hope everything's okay, said Cal. Without saying another word, Sean left the table and followed the waiter. Cal glanced at his wife and smiled. I'm going to the bathroom. Please excuse me, Lisa. I'll be right back. Thank you, said Sean as the waiter gave him the phone. Hello? Sean? Sean? Sean, is that you? You sound so distant. Mom, said Sean, shocked. The kids. What's wrong? Are the kids okay? What's going on? The children are fine. I'm just concerned about something. What? What happened? Sean, I. Well, it might be nothing, but I didn't want to call the police until I talked to you. I just wanted to be sure. Sure of what? Well, when we got back home, your bedroom window was open and your computer was warm. You know my imagination, but Sean took a deep breath. But you were wondering if I left the window open and the computer on. Yes, that's right. I was just. There's a pretty good chance I did leave the window open. As for the computer, it could have been left on. It has both a power save and power shut off mode that kicks in in a few hours. Oh, said Anne-Marie, maybe then. Was the house alarm still active when you got home? asked Sean. Silence for a few seconds, yes, she said softly. Okay. Look, thanks for calling. Please don't hesitate to call for anything. I'm glad that you're there with the kids, and don't worry about the call, better safe than sorry. Okay, Sean, and Marie paused. You two working things out, yes, mom, see ya. Bye, dear. Sean hung up the phone, shook his head, and walked back to the table. Back at the phone and around the corner, Cal clenched his fists. Furious with the idiots who had nearly blown it. And since then, I've never been the same person, said Lisa, as she just finished, talking to Catherine as Sean returned. So, did you guys decide what you want for dessert? Sean asked Lisa, glancing at Catherine. To his surprise, Catherine seemed uncomfortable and ill at ease. He didn't know what had happened since he left, but the mood seemed to have soured. Cal was gone, Catherine didn't look happy, and if he wasn't wrong about what he heard when he returned. Lisa just gave her personal testimony of how Jesus changed her life. Well, it looks as though Lisa blew it again. Probably Bud Cal and Catherine with her cultic ideals, he thought. Sean felt his cheeks getting hot as he tried to rein in his anger. I'm sorry, dear, said Lisa. We decided to wait for you and Cal to return and I guess we up got a little sidetracked. Catherine made a feeble attempt to smile, then looked for Cal. Her conversation with Lisa was totally unexpected. Someone had failed to properly profile the Duquesne family. She felt nervous and uncomfortable around Lisa. Cal's support was what Catherine needed right now. Before she realized what she was doing, she squeezed a particular item several times in her purse. Cal was debating whether to make a phone call to inform his associates how close they came to a cleansing procedure when his phone vibrated. He curiously looked at the display. It was a panic call from Catherine. He rushed back to the table. Well, Catherine, what do you do for a living? Asked Sean. Finally, something she could respond to, an architect, been doing it for quite a while. I work for a big company but tend to do small jobs on the side to make a little extra cash. So if you know anyone around New York City who's looking for an architect, please keep me in mind, she said too quickly. Don't let her badger you guys, said Cal, returning to the table. Sorry I'm late getting back, I had a load on my mind. Catherine slapped his arm. Cal, you're so bad. No bathroom, talk here. We don't need any of your dirty jokes. Sean smiled. Maybe everything was all right after all, he glanced at Lisa. Now, she looked disturbed about something. Anne Marie put the phone down and then prepared a cup of herbal tea. She sat down at the dining table and unfolded the day's newspaper. However, her mind wandered from the newspaper articles. She wondered why a warm computer and an open window had unnerved her. It had been decades since she had felt the feeling of being watched someone following her, and the threat of a nighttime terror. The last time she felt this way was when she lived in England, just after her father died. The last thing she needed was for those shadows to return. Failing to remember a Bible verse that used to give her comfort, Anne-Marie got her pocket Bible from her purse. She looked for the crease she made on one of the page corners and read the highlighted verse from Isaiah 54, verse 17. The verse said no weapon formed against her will prosper. She repeated it several times, finding refuge in the words and comforted in the fact that those years were completely behind her. Finally, Sean and Lisa were alone. There would be no excuses this time about avoiding a confrontation. It was early in the night as Sean and Lisa relaxed in their cabin after their somewhat entertaining dinner with the Beckmans. Cal and Catherine seem nice, mumbled Sean as he glanced at the television wondering how his wife would respond if he turned it on. They seemed nice at first, said Lisa. But the longer I spent with them, the more they seemed to. To what? He said, looking at her. I don't know. She paused. Something just doesn't feel right about them. Well, everybody doesn't leave a sparkling first impression all the time, he said, becoming easily irritated. Yeah, I guess so. This was it. She had to take the initiative Or he just might try to dodge her throughout the whole trip sean let's talk he smiled i thought that's what we've been doing you know what i mean she countered he took a deep breath yeah i know lisa felt the tension rise in the room then got an idea let's go for a walk around the ship maybe you could show me all the interesting places you found on your walk earlier today sean glanced at the television then his wife all right but I think we'll need jackets, it's a bit cool outside." Cal pulled the headphones off his ears. What did you say to her to make her feel uneasy about us? He nearly shouted at Catherine with a nasty frown on his face. Catherine removed her headphones, no longer listening to the conversation in the Duquesne's room. What did you say? What did you two talk about when I was shadowing Sean? I already told you she's a Christian. She was giving me her personal testimony junk, she answered. And what did you say? Nothing. I just listened. I told you this before. I didn't do anything wrong to give myself away. Cal sat there thinking for a while. There's one thing we didn't consider. How deep her faith is. Catherine dropped the headphones on the floor. You don't mean? No. He said, shaking his head. One small statement about being uneasy wouldn't justify an upgrade in this trial. Let's just stick to the plan for now. Catherine nodded. I'll get his phone after they leave." Blindfolded in a metal chair, a scared young man unsuccessfully tried to hold back his tears. He sobbed uncontrollably, anxiously waiting for his unseen kidnapper to lash out at him again. His lip felt busted, his eyes swollen, and a couple of bruised ribs seemed to prick his chest every time he breathed. It didn't make sense. One minute he was speaking with a couple of representatives from the journal he had contacted, then he was bound, blindfolded, and taken to God knows where. He tried to answer their questions, but from the beatings he received he guessed his answers weren't good enough. The physical abuse he received told him they wouldn't hesitate to use whatever force deemed necessary to get what they wanted. However, he didn't know exactly what they wanted. He answered every question imaginable ranging from his childhood to every class he'd taken in college. Once in a while, he would be given a glass of cold water when his voice would get hoarse. They were obviously interested in what he had to say. Just beyond his sobbing, Albert Spencer heard someone stirring. He wondered if he was going to receive another inexplicable beating. Footsteps. Someone clearing his throat. Mr. Spencer, said a deep raspy voice directly in front of him. We've been very patient till now. You've answered our questions but failed to give us the information we know you have. More footsteps. This time directly behind him, the man continued. This is your last chance. If you don't answer our questions completely and in great detail, I can't promise you I can hold back my associates any longer. Albert whimpered. He didn't want to die. Okay, he mumbled. Good, said the man, sounding excited to be finally getting somewhere in the interrogation. Would you like another glass of water? Albert nodded. Once he finished drinking the ice-cold water, the questions commenced. Mr. Spencer, please think of answering the questions as thoroughly as possible. It's very important. The man paused to see if his hostage fully understood the gravity of the situation. He continued, "Mr. Spencer, can you tell us why you sent your manuscript to a reputable journal for your theory for? What was it again? Ah, yes the presence of a superior civilization guiding the development of great civilizations from our past. Albert remembered this question being asked before. However, this time, it was phrased differently. This time, they actually used words he remembered saying in class. He cleared his throat and tried to answer the question the best he could. However, the man wasn't happy with the answer. All right, Mr. Spencer. Maybe you didn't understand me clear enough who or what motivated you to send that manuscript, he said raising his voice. I just wanted to share my information with everyone else. I was just excited that no one had actually thought of this before, he responded. Mr. Spencer. Shouted the man in anger. Tell me who. Someone else interrupted the man in the room, speaking too low for Albert to hear. Uh, Mr. Spencer. Were you influenced or encouraged by anyone in your life or school to pursue this idea of a superior race?" asked the kidnapper. Albert was about to answer the question the best he knew how, when hit him. They were going to kill him anyway and just wanted to know who else knew about this superior race. Albert suddenly remembered the email he sent to Professor Duquesne and realized he would also be in danger. Albert was fortunate to have forgotten about this before but didn't know how long he could keep it from them if they tortured him long enough, he may slip up. Sometimes, when one's body is exposed to extreme physical duress, the mind can see with unparalleled clarity. At this crucial moment, Albert realized his tormentors weren't interested in just his research paper. They were that superior race he wrote about, trying to cover up his ill-time discovery. He didn't know what to do. Unfortunately, before he realized it, he mumbled two words, you're them. Excuse me, asked the kidnapper. He reigned silent, afraid of repeating what he had just said. Just then, a savage blow slammed into his ribs. The pain was unbearable. Albert whimpered as the tears flowed down his cheeks again. Pretty soon one of your ribs is going to puncture your lungs. So one last time, what did you say? You're them. You're them. You're them, Albert cried. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I won't say anything. Please, I'm sorry. He tried to prepare for another blow when his hair was suddenly grabbed from behind and his head snapped back he felt the hot breath of his tormentor on his ear you're right the reason why no one else wrote about us is because they're all dead he said slowly albert's hair was released he heard footsteps walking away and a door slamming shut hello he said shakily no one answered suddenly he felt very hot He struggled against the ropes binding him despite the pain his quick movements made. This is it, he thought. He then felt a stinging like a thousand bees against his skin. An indescribable, horrendous voice spoke to him within his head before everything went to black. Maybe now you'll understand who we truly are, it said. Lisa shivered in her jacket as she and Sean walked the long expanse of the ship in silence. She felt an arm around her waist drawing her closer and immediately felt Shane's warmth. She knew he still loved her but still needed that contact often, as a reaffirmation. They never had problems talking with each other before but, at the moment, found it difficult to bring up the changes that all of a sudden had occurred in their marriage. Lisa rested her head on her husband's broad shoulder and took a deep breath. Less he said softly yes dear you know i love you very much and that you're the only woman for me aha she said softly well several months ago you changed from the woman i married and now you're this this i don't know you're living and breathing the bible i was raised in the church and consider myself a religious man my mother lived and breathed the bible and brought us up understanding that there was a higher power What Sean really wanted to say was he always thought his mother was a fanatic and shoved the Bible down his throat. The last thing he wanted was a wife imitating the mother of his childhood. I don't know. Les, you're scaring me. I don't know you anymore. Lisa saw a bench and motioned for them to sit on it. Before she spoke, she asked God to help her reach Sean. They were at a crucial point in their marriage and needed divine guidance. She also silently prayed that God would give her utterance and the right words to speak to him. As they sat down, Lisa looked up at the heavens. It was a beautiful night. The absence of clouds allowed the moon and stars to shine brightly down on them. The air was crisp, cool, and refreshing with every breath. All of a sudden, she felt very small compared to the humongous magnificent creation before her. The God of all is definitely greater than any of her problems. Surely he heard her prayers and has already prepared a solution. Lisa looked at her husband and smiled. Sean stared at her. Seeing an inner peace and joy that unsettled him, he turned away quickly. What am I afraid of? He thought. Sean, did you have a chance to look at the stars? Aren't they beautiful? Sean, not wanting to look at Lisa, looked up to the heavens. The stars were indeed shining bright as the moon hung in the sky like a virtual crescent fixture on a wall. It was indeed beautiful to look at. He took a deep breath. Even the air had a calming effect. It is a beautiful night, he said. Sean, Sean, look at me. He slowly turned to his wife. Nothing had changed. He still saw that extra something inside her that hadn't been there several months ago. It was this difference that bothered him. Sean, when you look at me, do you see a fanatical Christian? Do you see a person seduced by a cult? Or do you see a person who has found the peace of God in her life? I know you're a religious man and grew up going to church. You know about God and believe there's a God. But you see, I found him. He's more to me than just head knowledge. He's my life. He's every breath I take. I feel so much peace and love. It's almost hard to explain. Sean became defensive. Are you saying that I don't know God as good as you? Lisa felt the change in his tone and knew which way the conversation would go if she didn't turn it around quickly. Then it came to her. Sean, in your field of archaeology you've read and even seen pictures of scientists discovering much about our past. In our day and age, there are those who have hands-on experience in archaeological digs and others who read about it back home. Which would you find more exciting? Being in the field and experiencing it or reading about it? A smile came to Sean's face. It was always his desire to be out there discovering archaeological artifacts and applying what he found to the scheme of understanding the past. I guess experiencing it firsthand would be more gratifying. Why? He asked. Dear, don't you see it? You have had knowledge of God and Jesus, but do you have it here? She touched his chest. You feel it. There's a difference. And it's that difference I feel. This is the change in my life I have. I just want you to understand how my life has changed. I'm no longer just filling my head with the things of God, I'm filling my life and heart with everything of him. Sean was about to respond when he saw Lisa wipe away a tear. My goodness, he thought, she really does feel a deeper relationship with God. Immediately it became plain to him that Lisa wasn't cheating on him, she wasn't obnoxious or neglecting him, or the children. Quite the contrary, she had been more of a wife and mother since developing her deeper feelings for God. Even the children seemed to be better off going to her church. Only good things had been coming from this change. So what was he so upset about? Why was he uncomfortable with a wife who has grown in her faith with God? Was life really that bad, growing up under a deeply devoted mother that he feared a wife displaying the same traits? He turned away from Lisa and stared at the floor beneath his feet and then at the stars. He remained silent while Lisa waited patiently. After a few minutes, He looked back at his wife, Less. Sean shook his head. I don't doubt what you feel is genuine, but comparing it to archaeology just doesn't make sense. What I need is something I can feel and touch. Every time I read the Bible, I listen to the Word of God. That's concrete physical evidence of his existence. What you're talking about isn't tangible. There's no absolute, no guidelines. If everyone felt this way, they'd make up their own religious beliefs based just on their feelings. Sean shook his head again as Lisa lovingly held his hand while her heart slowly started to break. He continued. Look, I forced you on this trip, but I know it'll be good for us. Let's not try to resolve everything in a night. He stared deeply into her eyes. I don't feel what you feel, and I don't think I ever will. He looked away. You remind me too much of her. He subconsciously mumbled to himself. Your mother? Asked Lisa. Having put his foot in his mouth, He had no choice but to respond, yeah. She mellowed out over the years, but when she was younger, she was fire and brimstone, heaven and hell. I'll tell you about it later. Sean took a deep breath. What he was going to say next was extremely hard for him, but he had to make Lisa understand. My mother tried long ago, and I don't need that kind of pressure now. Lisa closed her eyes and tried to hold back the tears. Cal's expression was sour as he watched Catherine return from the Duquesne's room. He fiddled with the satellite phone as she approached. Did you put his phone back where you found it? Yep. Yeah. What's wrong? What did they say? You told them about Albert Spencer's email that we found on the phone, she asked. Yes, I told them everything, he said cracking his knuckles. Then, what? Sean has all of Albert Spencer's information, his manuscript, his theories, and his hypothesis. He's a threat, and threats have to be. They knew everything before I called them, Cal interrupted. But how? Oh, they broke Spencer. Did not they? No, they absorbed him, said Cal. What? They what? Catherine said in disbelief. Yeah, everything Albert Spencer was is now part of us. That means the trial is over, said Cal. Judgment must take place immediately and we're being called off. The assassins will take over. They're already on the boat and will probably neutralize the targets tonight. Then, what's the problem? Why you look like that? She asked. Cal clenched his fists. Absorbance is only used when we're in extreme danger of being exposed. It's hardly ever done to those being interrogated. I think they're uneasy about the similarities between Sir Geoffrey Fairchild and Sean Duquesne. And the strangest thing of all is that both didn't discover us by themselves but were exposed to individuals who did that's a red flag in and of itself no weapon formed against you will prosper no weapon formed against me will prosper and marie repeated the bible verse several times before she realized what she was doing tonight something had caused her to remember her childhood after her father's death the nights about her terror that followed and the feeling of hopelessness she wrestled with. The verse she repeated came upon her abruptly like a beacon of light, illuminating her focus on God's protection. Anne-Marie closed her eyes and prayed a silent prayer. Lord, is everything all right? She thought. Pray against the forces of darkness, said a small faint whisper. Anne-Marie quickly opened her eyes. After a few awkward seconds, she got on her knees and started praying. Sean and Lisa sat silently, in each other's arms, looking at the stars. It was nearly 30 minutes since they last exchanged words. Moments ago, Lisa couldn't hold back her tears as she held Sean. She felt as though her prayers were dashed and Sean more distant than ever. He tried to logically understand Lisa's deep relationship with God, but always came up with more questions. How deep was deep? Was there a level to reach, a goal to achieve? Or was it some esoteric level, you never know, you can reach but realize you did when you finally arrived? They were the same questions he used to ask himself as a boy when his mother pressured him to get serious about Jesus. Lisa shivered and Sean responded by drawing her closer. He looked at the horizon and at the bright light from Venus shining at them, reminding him about the story of Jesus being born in a manger. All right, I know about God and worship him in church every Sunday. I believe he created the universe and Jesus was his son. What more is there? He thought. Lisa shivered again. Maybe we should head back inside, Sean inquired. I felt so warm against you, but all of a sudden I feel so cold, she said. Sean got an idea. We can head back to the restaurant and get some hot chocolate. Sounds great, she said, trying to sound upbeat. The couple stood up and made their way to the restaurant. After sitting down at a table and ordering two hot chocolates from the waiter, Lisa looked around and was relieved not to see Cal and Catherine. She shivered again. It wasn't really that cold in the room, but she felt a chilling cold down to her bones. It felt weird. She shook violently as a wave of cold whipped through her. Whoa! We better get that hot chocolate soon before you come down with something, Sean said. He looked around and finally saw the waiter coming with their orders. It was a different waiter but as long as the drinks got there, it didn't matter. Here it comes, he said to Lisa. Lisa turned to see the waiter approaching, but looked at the man confused. There was a dark cloud or shadow hovering in front of the man's face. His eyes were sickly yellow, and his hands were filthy. Lisa quickly turned to Sean. That can't be our. She stopped in mid-sentence as she saw a smile develop on Sean's face as he continued to look at the waiter. She looked back at the waiter again and this time saw a normal person delivering their drinks. She rubbed her eyes, but the man remained normal looking. When the waiter set down the hot chocolate and left, Sean looked at her confused. What's wrong? Did you want whipped cream? I'll call them back. No, no, it's fine. It's fine, she said. She wondered if she was just tired and her eyes were playing tricks on her. She took the cup in her hand and was about to drink it when she inexplicably let it drop to the floor. Lisa. Sean jumped up, putting his cup down. Are you all right? Did you burn your hand? No, I. I'm okay. Lisa started to shake. Something wasn't right here. Your, your cup. She pointed to Sean's cup. No, it's not hot. Those idiots must have heated your hot chocolate too long. Lisa needed to look at his cup. Sean, what's the color of your hot chocolate? She asked. What? Lisa motioned with her head for him to look. Sean glanced at his cup. Brown. Lisa closed her eyes and took a deep breath. It must be her. Sean, I'm still cold. Can I have a sip? Sure, no problem. Sean reached for the cup as the waiter returned. The waiter smiled at Lisa and proceeded to clean up the mess. Can we have another cup when you're done? And this time, don't make it too hot, said Sean, irritated. Yes, sir, we're sorry, sir," said the waiter as he left. Sean placed his cup in front of Lisa where it sat for a long while. Have a sip, honey. I'll take the next one. I, I can't. Why not? What's wrong? Tears started and well up in Lisa's eyes. It's… Blood. She mumbled quietly. It's what? Blood. Sean. It's blood. Sean walked over to where Lisa sat and looked at the cup of hot chocolate. He saw only what he ordered. Ah. Less. I. Don't say it. You can't see it, she whispered anxiously. i only see. Sean, take me back to the room. I want to get out of here. Yeah, sure. Fine. Sean left enough money on the table to cover both drinks as he and his wife left the restaurant. The waiter watched patiently from a dark corner where he couldn't be seen by anyone. At first, he thought the woman dropped the cup by accident but now he was sure she either sensed or knew the drinks were poisoned. It would make his job more difficult, but he always did like challenges. Yeah, she talked to Catherine some time ago about her life as a new Christian. I mentioned this before. Cal was interrupted as he listened on the telephone. Catherine anxiously waited to hear the whole story once he was finished with the call. Since he picked up the phone, it had been nothing but curses and negative talk. She what? shouted Cal. What about her husband? I see. Cal looked at Catherine. From what you're telling me, that's not gonna be easy, he said. What? Catherine whispered, no longer able to contain herself. Cal waved his hand for her to be quiet. Of course. Yes, sir. As soon as possible. He turned off the phone and placed it on the bed next to Catherine. They want you to separate Lisa Duquesne from her husband so they can kill him. As long as she's around, it complicates things," he said. You mean? Yeah, she's protected. How much, they don't know, but Sean must be dealt with immediately. Catherine was silent for a while. She had never been trained to interact with Christians. What if she can see through me? If she could, then she would have done so already when we first met her, he answered. Cal had to get through to her. Look, just tell her you thought hard about what she told you before and want to know more about this god of hers. Cal grabbed her arms. Catherine, they only need 10 minutes. She nodded. Good, then let's get some rest. Tomorrow Sean Duquesne dies.